last week uh, when we were going through uh, the Torah, and uh, for those who are, are visitors, in, in every Jewish synagogue, the Torah is read every week. The Torah is actually divided into portions. So every single year, the entire Torah is read. Um, and the portion we were at last week, along with the entire Jewish world, was uh, in Exodus, where we first hear the term, the Mishkan, which is the tabernacle in the wilderness. And as was said last week, the Mishkan, the tabernacle in the wilderness, was really the spiritual lifeblood of the community of Israel. Because that is where God's presence dwelt. It was a cloud by day. It was a fire by night. It was visible. And when the children of Israel wanted to either give an offering to the Lord, they went to it. If they needed to inquire of the Lord, they went to it. If they didn't know which way to go, they went to it, and the priest that governed the Mishkan, the tabernacle, would consult the Lord, and he would use what we read in this week's Torah portion, the Urim and the Tumim, which is almost like this holy kind of magic eight ball, you know, where they would say, which way? And the Lord would say, this is the way to go. That's what they used at that time. So it was the spiritual lifeblood. It was the spiritual heartbeat of Israel, this tabernacle. And God dwelt in the tabernacle in a very real way. Like I said, they, it was, there was fire. There was smoke. It was a visible thing. You know how this, these days we walk by faith, but not by sight but back then, it was a little bit shifted. There was a walk by sight and less by faith because faith comes by hearing. And if, if something, like I don't need to have faith that Pastor Willie is here. I know he's here because I see him. So faith is not needed as much. And God worked at that time. And God worked at that time in visible ways. And we see that even as the story of Israel progressed, as, they, as the soldiers you know, took the ark and they marched with the ark of the covenant. There was fire and there was lightning and there were, there were miraculous signs that happened through this Mishkan, through this tabernacle. If, 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 the, if, if their enemies took the Ark of the Covenant, as we see in like the book of Samuel, the enemy took the Ark, they were cursed. If somebody had the Ark in their house, they were blessed. God worked in a tangible way. He worked in a visible way. Even when the, the tabernacle, the Mishkan, was, was, was incorporated into the temple, when King Solomon built the temple and the offerings were given, it says that fire came down from heaven and consumed the offerings. Visible ways the Lord worked at that time. And, and we see miracles, and even in the Jewish writings, if we read the writings of the sages and the old rabbis, they said, you know, when the temple was standing, 
There were miracles happening all the time, like visible, tangible miracles. And I, my, I mean, my gosh, did he not stop the sun in his tracks? I mean, there was Elijah where, where the Lord consumed the offerings. There is Elisha who just had many miracles, raised the dead. Miracles happened when the Mishkan, when the temple was standing because God's presence was there in, in, a, in a specific way because the Mishkan was always God's desire. It was the fulfillment of God's desire to dwell with his people in earthen vessels. And it was the foreshadow of the greater thing because God's desire is still to dwell in earthen vessels. But the earthen vessels are sitting right here. But something happened when Babylon with King Nebuchadnezzar when King Nebuchadnezzar came into Jerusalem and conquered the land and tore down the temple, which, by the way, was a fulfillment of prophecy. The prophets warned Israel for generations to repent or else this is going to happen. Isaiah told, Zechari uh, Isaiah told the king Hezekiah, he's like, who did you bring into the temple? Uh, say what? Uh, you did what now? Who did you allow it? Oh, yeah, you know, this, this caravan came from Babylon. You know, and they just wanted to check out our house. And Isaiah said, well, guess what? Those same people are coming back, and they're going to destroy the house. And that dumbbell Hezekiah goes, well, thank God it's going to happen after I die. No problem for me, right? That's not how God wants us to look at future generations. God wants us on our face for future generations. So Babylon comes in, destroys the temple, and we see a shift in how God deals with Israel. When the tabernacle was there, it was very much a walk of sight and less of faith. But now all of a sudden, God kind of removed himself from Israel because they were in a state of discipline and punishment. But the Lord never leaves. And he was always there. But there is a shift to a walk of faith. And not by sight. And we see the Lord working, not as much fire from heaven that's visible, but we see the Lord working in his people in a beautiful and miraculous way, which causes the people to reach out and causes the people to trust and to hope and to seek and to fast and to pray. And it says, you know, it even says in the Torah, it says, if you, if you disobey me, I will punish you. But in those days, if you seek me, you will find me. 
And in this time of discipline, when Israel was in Babylon, in captivity, in exile, the Hebrew for exile is galut, when they were in captivity and exile, they had to seek the Lord where he may be found. And we see that the Lord really never left. There may be a decrease in like these tangible, visible miracles. But the Lord works on behalf of his people. And there is an encouraging message in that because we did not see those types of miracles, visible miracles happen until Yeshua came. And now we see those miracles happening again. But after that generation left and the temple, the second temple was destroyed, we see miracles. We don't see that type of miracle so much. People are asking, like, I want to raise the dead. Where's the raising of the dead? Where's the healing of the sick? But I tell you that the Lord is working in the lives of his people in ways that stretch us and cause us to seek his face. And I am a believer that the Lord doesn't go backwards. He always goes forward. And in our human head, we're like, well, that's not as good as the, the whole big fire from heaven thing in the clouds. I tell you, it's a better place to have to seek him and find him and know him and experience him in that way. And we see this shift in Babylon. I remember years ago, reading the book of Nehemiah and seeing Nehemiah writing that he had to go to the king of Persia at that time, Darius, and ask him for permission to go back to Israel and start to rebuild. And I remember reading years ago how Nehemiah just, he, he went to the king and he just kind of pleaded. He's like, you know, 70 years ago, you know, we were booted out of here but I'd like to go back. What do you think, king? And the king said, go do what's on your heart. And Nehemiah said to his people, this is the Lord. This is the Lord working. It didn't say that like the Lord came down in fire in King Darius and, you know, and, and consumed him. But just the simple thing of, of, of the king saying, you can go and do it. They gave honor and glory to the Lord because the Lord is still working. Do you understand that? They didn't have to do a Jedi mind trick on the king. You will have us, have us go and build. I will have you go build. There wasn't that. It was Adonai. You put a desire on my heart to return to Israel and rebuild what you have torn down. And last I looked at the writings of the prophets, 70 years, is, it's time now. Lord, I ask you for favor. And he went to the king and he got favor and he said, that is the Lord. And that is a shift that we see. The book of Esther that we read today, tonight actually starts the holiday of Purim. So the, 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 the book that we read in the holiday of Purim is the book of Esther, and I think we know that. 
And the book of Esther is an incredible example to all of us on how the Lord works behind the scenes. Not the fire God and the smoke and the consuming of the offering. The Jewish sages were right when they said that, does anybody know how many times the name of God is mentioned in the book of Esther? Zero. In the book of Esther, the name of God is not mentioned even once. It is the only book that God is not even referenced. His name is also not in the Song of Songs, but he's in all the analogies. The book of Esther is the only book that he's not even referenced. But where was God? He was all throughout the story. You see, the children of God, us, we, have, we, we suffer with spiritual short-sightedness. What's that word for short-sightedness? Myopia. Myopia. We, we suffer from spiritual myopia because we see a thing. We see something in our lives. We even see something in the nation. And we're like, oh my gosh, this is the most terrible thing in the world. But we don't see the God who is working all things for his glory. In the world and in your life, in your current situation. I'll tell you in King Ahasuerus, this drunken knucklehead of a dictator goes, where's my hot wife? Have her go strip down and go present herself in front of all these people just so they can see how sexy my hot wife is. What does that look like? What does that look like when we have myopia, when we're short-sighted? It just looks like some leader of the world doing some knucklehead thing. But we have the, the blessing of reading the book, and was God behind that? I ask you, was God behind that? Was the God who is always working, who is always seeing, who always keeps his promises, it looks like just some random dumb event in the moment. But it's God working out his miraculous story of deliverance. When Vashti said, no way, I'm not doing it. People may have said, oh my gosh, is she crazy? Does she know that like, her life is in danger by doing that? It's so funny that feminists these days, they look at her as like a foremother of their movement. Oh, she, she power to the people. Don't give in. It looks like she was doing something foolish or good. It doesn't matter if it's foolish or good. The Lord is working. We must understand that the Lord is working in our lives. As, and we don't even know what's happening, but we need to learn the lesson that all these things are him bringing the story of his deliverance. Then all of a sudden the king, see this is how I'm going to incorporate the story of Esther into Purim. See then, the, then what happened after that? I don't even remember what happened after that. So he goes, all right, enough with her. It's time for a new queen. 
Where are all the virgins in my kingdom? What does that look like? That's just some nut. The king was like a nut. I mean, this is, I'm telling you, people get worried about like presidents of America. I'm telling you that, 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 that the kingdom, the kings of the world, and, and I don't even know one of them in the Bible that was, that was, that was okay. I think the expectation is that they're all kind of cuckoo. But God uses them as pawns in his story to have his will done. This is why we rejoice. So he calls on the virgins, you know, to parade. Looks like a stupid thing, but God was working. Then he calls this broken, devastated virgin of Israel named Hadassah. Esther. Oh, man. Because the children of Israel, they're not called to kind of intermarry like that. Talk about being unequally yoked with some pagan king. Oh, my gosh. I mean, she was, a, she was an orphan, it says. She probably lost her parents when Nebuchadnezzar ransacked Jerusalem. She probably lost them in the war. And her uncle Mordecai took, take, takes her in as his own daughter to look after her. And she's ripped away from that family to go parade in a harem. What does that look like to Esther? What does that look like to Mordecai? What does it look like to the God who works undercover to make his will done? He's working out a story. And then Esther is the one who she kind of wins the competition and he takes her in as, as the queen. Like, oh my gosh, what is happening here? What is happening here? We don't see any more fire in the temple. We don't see any more smoke in the temple. We're not even allowed to bring animal sacrifices anymore. The temple was destroyed. But oh my God, maybe God is doing something. Maybe God didn't really depart. Then all of a sudden, this big bad dude named Haman. Wait a minute. So in Jewish tradition, we have these uh, groggers that whenever the name Haman is, is spoken, who wants a grogger? Which means that every time I say the word Haman, you can make noise. But there is a tradition in Mishkan David that some people say not guilty because we want all people to be saved. So you can swing your grogger and say boo, or you can say not guilty, whatever's on your heart. So this guy, Haman. All right, we're getting there. So, <laughs> exactly. So this guy, Haman, gets, gets uh, promoted. He's like, he's, like second in, he's like second in command to the king. He has charge over the province. He's like the guy. He's kind of like the Pontius Pilate of, of that kingdom. And he's an evil dude. And he's a selfish dude. And he just wants all the accolades. So he goes marching down the street on his horseback, and he expects everybody to bow. But Mordecai does not bow. It's interesting that he won't bow. Like, there's nothing wrong with, like, just bowing and paying homage to a person, you know what I mean? But, like, it's not like he was an idol. But he was an idol unto himself, I think. So that's why Mordecai would not bow to him. 
Because you will not bow to an idol. You should not bow to an idol. So then Haman gets enraged. And he devises a plot to kill all the Jews. Haman was an an Agagite. Everybody say Agagite. You know, when Susie and I, we, we, we make fun of our cats eating, we go, that's kind of like, he's an Agagite. Agagite. Haman the Agagite. So Agag actually was the person who, in the time of King Saul, Saul was commanded by Samuel to, to kill him, but he didn't when they were fighting against Amalek, and he did not... He did not kill him, and he allowed his, his line to be perpetuated. And then we have Haman all those years later. But the, 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 the escalation of Haman and this, and a mandate to kill every Jew. What does that look like to the people? What does it look like to our Father who works all things for good according to his purposes? What does the, 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 the things in our lives that are causing us to go, oh my gosh, Adonai, what does it look like from heaven? And what does it look like from our own spiritual myopia, short-sightedness, where we don't see that God is working it out? We walk by faith. By sight. So there's this plot to kill all the Jews. And then Mordecai hears about it. And he goes to Esther, the queen, and Esther's, and got, Esther, you gotta go to the king. You gotta tell this crazy knucklehead husband of yours to stop it. And she goes, she pulls a Ralph Cramden. She doesn't want to go in. She's like, Are you kidding me? I'm gonna get killed. And Mordecai says, Are you kidding me? If you don't do this, I tell you, deliverance is going to come from somewhere else. But our people are going to be slaughtered. And don't think you're exempt from that, little girl. Don't think you're going to be exempt from that. And then he says the famous line, who knows? Adonai is working. Is it possible? that you were put in this place. The word in Hebrew is very simple. La'at. La'at. For such a time as this. Do we have the faith in our lives when we're going through a trial to say, maybe we were put in this place for such a time as this. So Esther, the one who grew up in Israel when the temple was standing, who saw the fire, saw the smoke, saw the God who does the visible miracles, fought spiritual battle. She declared a fast. That is where the battle is won. The battle is not fought with fists up. They are fought with faces down. That's where God gives power to the people. 
when we're on our faces. And she had everybody go on their face. And she goes to the king and she says, you know what? Even if I lose my life, I'm doing this thing. That was a nerve-wracking experience for the young girl. But she did it. And the Lord worked it out. And she was accepted to the king. And the king said, what do you want up to half the kingdom? And she said, I want a meal with Haman. I actually had two meals. I don't know why, but she said a meal. And then after the meal, she goes with the king, goes, what do you want? She goes, I want a meal. See, because she knew like a holiday was coming and Jews had the same theme in every holiday. They tried to kill us. We won. Let's eat. So might as well have two meals out of this thing. God's given me some favor. How about two banquets? Don't stretch your luck, Hadassah. So all of a sudden now Haman comes in and to eat with Hadassah and the king. And the king says to Esther, what do you want after half the king? Up to half the kingdom. And she says, there is an assignment against my people to exterminate every one of them. And he goes, what are you talking about? Who did this? And she said it came from Haman. And God poured out favor and she said, no, this is not going to happen. And she takes Haman out and he was hanged in the gallows that he, wrote, that he raised up for Mordechai. But the story was not over. And we don't clap the demise of our enemies, by the way. But the story was not over because she went to the king and said, you know, the edict is still there. Because back then, Haman decided to pick the day of this destruction and extermination of the Jews by drawing lots. This is like evil. This is like an evil dictator going, who am I going to kill? Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. That's pretty much what it is. Like leaving it to chance. And that's the beauty of this story. The word Purim is lots, like casting lots. It defines randomness at the core, but we see that it is not random at all. So he pulled, okay, it's going to happen on the 13th of Adar, the month of Adar. That's today, by the way. The 13th of Adar, that's the day it's going to happen. It seems like a random thing because it was drawing lots. But was it random? Was God who works behind the scenes, behind the whole thing? So it is in everything unto this day in your lives, even in this world, in this country, in every country, he's working it all out for his glory. We are part of an amazing story of deliverance. Thank you, Adonai, for bringing us to such a time as this. Thank you, Lord. You could have chosen us to be alive at any time in history, but you have chosen us to be alive for such a time as this, la'at, for such a time as this. So, so the king says, you know, I, I, yeah, I did do that edict, but I did it with that ring thing, the signet ring. 
And I'm not even allowed to undo that. So all I could do is make a new rule. So I'm going to give you the, uh, the, the, the right to defend yourself. And it says, and take the spoils. But it says multiple times they didn't take the spoils. All they, needed, all they wanted to do was defend themselves. And they did. And there was a great deliverance for Israel. So much so. There was so much miracle from the God who was not mentioned once in the book. So much miracle that they instituted a day of celebration, which we celebrate today. Because it says that Jews should celebrate this throughout their generations, forever. And it says also that many people in Persia became Jews because the miracle, not the miracle of fire, not the miracle of resurrection, not the miracle of, of people miraculously being healed of sicknesses, the miracle of the God who's working it all out, worked it all out, and that could not be denied. And many people in Persia became Jews. That's like saying these days, and many people accepted the Lord. It was revival.